Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. To the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know that's the Qinator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by a very special guest. I thought it would be interesting to talk to somebody who has a different perspective from the outside looking in. Somebody who used to be a Jet but is still following the Jets. Recently on Twitter when I was talking about how the Jets got destroyed the other day against Miami, I said that the highlight of the afternoon was getting a follow on Twitter from former underrated Jet Jamal Westerman. I said that it would be cool if Jamal would come on the podcast and talk about the Jets with me. Sure enough, we ended up talking and here he is. He was a Jet from 2009 to 2011 and right at the top of his resume is the fact that he sacked Tom Brady twice in a game in 2011. Former Rutgers great, Mr. Jamal Westerman. Jamal, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, Scott, man. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you for having me on. I'm loving the podcast, man. And yeah, I think I probably should put that on my resume, right? I got Brady twice, two times (laughs) in one game. That's two more times than most people do, right? Listen, man. I mean, he's not that mobile, but he is elusive in that pocket. So I'll, I'll take it. I've always said that, as you just mentioned, he's not somebody that's fleet of foot, but he has that pocket awareness and he's so smooth that he just always knows how to get rid of the ball right on time or to take that one step to get out of the way and buy himself that extra second. It's sort of like Dirk Nowitzki in basketball. Dirk Nowitzki was never the fastest guy, but he was able to get that one half a step on you that combined with his length and his height, he was able to make so many plays happen. That's kind of what it feels like with Tom Brady. That's why you got to find all your quarterbacks in the sixth round, man. 199. Just go looking there for your quarterbacks, man. Great mobility in the pocket. Unlike Lamar Jackson, which is great mobility everywhere. (laughs) The Jets tried that route. They brought in Luke Falk, and unfortunately, it didn't work out so well. Although I will say, he wasn't drafted by the Jets, so maybe this only works if the team actually drafts you in the sixth round, not just if you're a sixth-round draft pick. Yeah, Belichick, he has a, he has the, the formula. He knows exactly where to find the guys that nobody else is looking at. <laughs> and that's why it's such an accomplishment to be able to do well against the Patriots in any form. And you did. You started your NFL career here with the Jets, 2009, 2010, 2011. And you had stops in a bunch of places, including the hated Miami Dolphins, went on to the Cardinals, the Colts, the Bills, the Steelers, the Browns. 
and now you're in the middle of a pretty successful run in the CFL. In fact, you were a CFL All-Star in 2015, and now your team is on the verge of potentially getting the Grey Cup, which is the Super Bowl of the CFL. Unfortunately, though, you're not a part of it right now because you're home injured, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm done playing for the year. I had an injury sneak back up on me. But, yeah, man, we're making a run. I mean, the Hamilton Tiger Cats undefeated at home this year, which is amazing. I mean, held down whole, home for the whole season. Defense has been playing great. Offense has been playing great. And right now we have the bye this weekend, you know, for the semifinals for the East. And next weekend, next Sunday, it'll be the East finals in, in Hamilton. I mean, I know that game's going to be nuts. And then after that, the next game after that, you know, we don't, we don't look forward. I ain't looking too far, in the, in, but the next game after that, the, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, is the Grey Cup in Calgary, which is, you know, I know that's going to be a great game. So, I mean, I'm excited to for this bye week to watch some CFA and NFL games. You get to watch the CFL, and then, unfortunately, you watch the Jets, who are right now, and I don't mean this as a slight, playing like they belong in the CFL, unfortunately. But you have roots here in the New Jersey area because you originally born in Brooklyn, and then you ended up going to Florida, and then you were in Canada, and you were part of that Canada to Rutgers pipeline that my buddy Jason Love was telling me about. And you did really well at Rutgers. You were a two-time second-team All-Big East player. You ended up going undrafted, but then you wound up with the Jets for those three years. So clearly, between being at Rutgers and then spending those three years with the Jets, I would imagine that your heart is still very much with Gang Green, yes? Oh, yeah, man. I always watch the Jets. It's, it's crazy because my father, actually, you know, I was born in Brooklyn. When my parents came over from Barbados, you know, to New York. My father's a huge Jets fan. So growing up in a household, you know, he was a Jets fan. I mean, when I signed as an undrafted free agent in 2009, and unbeknownst to me, you know, the first time my father, he took a ride up, and I think it was drawing camp. He took a ride up, and he had got one of those license plates, you know, made. And I'm like, Jets 55 or New York Jets 55. I'm like, Dad, what if I get cut? He's like, nah, man, you're a jet. You won't get cut. And I thought it was a fake license plate, but it, it, that was his real license plate on his Ford Explorer. Jets 95, Jets 55, New York. And I was like, man. So, he, I mean, he's a Jets fan. I still follow the team. I got a lot of friends that are still in the organization. And, you know, I'm always rooting for the team. I follow the team. and I'm. But now, you know, in the NFL, you know, just being in CFO for so long, I'm a fan of players, too. You know, I have, there's so many amazing players in the league that it's hard to just be a fan of a team and not take a lie, and you're looking at, oh, man, look at these other players. But, you know, I've always watched the Jets, and I love talking about the Jets. In that vein, let's talk some Jets, and we'll start with the topic that everybody's talking about right now, and that is the coaching of Adam Gase. When you were here, you played for Rex Ryan, and one thing that you heard over and over again from players that played for Rex Ryan, and I've had several of them on the show, including your former teammate Thomas Jones, what Thomas Jones told me is that he would have run through a brick wall for Rex Ryan, and so even if this team was outclassed or outmatched or just beaten by a better team, there was never going to be a question about effort with Rex Ryan. The last couple of weeks, it has not looked good for the Jets, not only in the department of getting outplayed, but the effort just doesn't seem to be there. When you watch this team, does it look to you like maybe the message from Adam Gase is not quite getting through right now? I mean, obviously, when you have a team that's one in seven, you know, you're looking for the answer. So I won't put it all when it comes to effort. You know, as you know, we're looking and we're saying they're not giving effort because I haven't seen a, a lack of effort. I've seen a lack, lack of execution. You know, I, I think it's hard as a football player and as a professional athlete for people to question your effort because it seems like, you know, 
when you're losing, it's, it's the only time everybody's questioning your effort. You know, nobody's looking to say, oh, the Patriots or, oh, you know, Baltimore, you have lack of effort. So I think it's more the, the lack of execution. But at the same token, you know, you need that communication from, you know, your head coach to your players that has to be constant, that has to be an open dialogue, you know, to, to let the guys know that, listen, we're in this together. There's nobody coming. There's no we have to turn it around if it's going to turn around. We have to play better. And everybody's, you know, really job and reputation is on that film every weekend. You know, as a head coach, as a coordinators, as staff, as players, you're only as good as what is on that film on Sundays. And right now, it's, it, it hasn't been up to the standards to be competitive. You know, and that's the thing. As a football player, you want to play a competitive game. And that's the one thing Rex always, you know, had us in for the most part is those competitive games where that you know okay listen a physical play right now can change this game you know uh, a play right now can change the game rather than playing in games where listen the game's over we're down by four touchdowns three touchdowns offense is not moving the ball we're not playing well you know there's no way to come back you know there's not the one play out there that can flip the momentum how would you contrast what you experienced with Rex with what you're seeing now with Adam Gase? Obviously, it's different because you were on the inside with Rex and you're watching from the outside with Gase. But just your impression of what you're watching, how would you compare the two? I think, you know, when back in 2009-2011, as a team, there were, I mean, similar to this year with the Jets, a lot of things going on. You know, we had all, you know... NFL investigations. We have things that were little that made, you know, we had a tripping incident that turned into a bigger deal. We had, you know, conflict with players. But for the most part, it felt like things were kept inside, you know, at least for me, because I know how big it was on the inside and things didn't get out to the media as much. You know, you tried to keep things quiet. You tried to hold the team together. I think now where, you know, Every player, and it's a different time. And that's the one thing I say: it's a different time where every player and every, really every person has their own news media in their phone. You know, you can get on Instagram, you can let your feelings be known, you can get on Twitter, you can you know give your analysis of what you think happened in the game. I think now you're getting so many different messages coming out. You know, you get messages from from Adam Gates, you get messages from JD the GM, you get messages from you know Christopher Johnson, Jamal Adams. T.J. Moley, Le'Veon Bell, Darnold, everybody has their own little message coming out. But I think sometimes it's better maybe just to keep the message singular where focus on winning, you know, focus on getting it done. But, you know, I I understand that when you're losing, everybody wants to hear something. And now you feel like you have to kind of explain what's going on more in depth. Christopher Johnson spoke privately with Jamal Adams. Now, to be fair, we don't know exactly who sought that out. It could have been Christopher Johnson pulling Jamal Adams aside. It could have been Jamal Adams requesting to speak with the owner. But either way, he at this point is still refusing to talk to both the coach and the general manager and bypass them to speak to the owner. Did you ever see a similar situation occur when you were a Jet? And do you think it could be a potential problem? Well, actually, yeah, because Woody, you know, Woody Johnson was around a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, to be honest, Woody Johnson was a lot, around a lot, and he would talk to players, you know, on their own. Sometimes you'll see Woody take Mark over there and have a conversation with him. Woody will take Braylon and talk to him. So I don't think there's anything wrong with Jesse O, Christopher Johnson, you know, having a talk with Jamal Adams or Jamal reaching out to him. I'm, like you said, we don't know exactly, you know, who reached out to who, but it's his organization. He's the CEO of the organization. And if he sees that one of his best players, one of his, you know, most talented, you know, individual, somebody that 
that care, seems to care on the field, but also off the field. He, you know, you always see Jamal doing the the jet stuff, the marketing stuff. You know, really promoting the team. And in New York, we all know that's big. I, I you know, I think it's the right thing to do to have a conversation with him to see, you know, what's going on. You know, you don't feel comfortable talking to these guys right now. Well, I'm the CEO of the organization. You know, talk to me. Let me know where you stand, you know, with this issue. Let me know what you're feeling. And I think any great CEO, I think, you know, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, he'll probably talk to one of his biggest, you know, money makers or one of his, you know, top guys in his company if there was an issue. And because that's your job as a CEO. So I don't didn't really find anything wrong about it. I just wish that. You know, maybe Jamal kept it more in-house, kept that conversation or even that I spoke to him to himself. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. When you watch the Jets' defense this year, what have been your impressions? Do you like the job that Greg Williams has done? Are there any players that you think are playing better than people are giving credit for or worse than people are giving credit for? What have your general observations been as somebody who's played professional football for 10 years and was a Jet for three? I think the big guys in the middle of front, you know, they're doing above-average job. Quentin Williams, he's young. You know, he's doing above-average job. Having a really, these last three games, having a kind of a coming-out party a little bit. You know, they're doing a good job up front. You know, I won't say good job, above-average job up front. The linebacker group has been so decimated. You know, I, I believe Neville Hewitt was playing at a high level. He was somebody that was thumping guys and kind of bringing that wood when C.J. Mosley wasn't in there. But now he's hurt. So in the kind of up the middle, you know, they've been hurt on the inside. And at the cornerbacks, we all know the issues. You know, kind of a a lack of, you know, that that number one starting cornerback, a lot of guys playing injured. And, you know, defensive coordinator Greg Williams, he's kind of calling the game handcuffed. And you can see when he wants to pressure, you know, he's telling the corners, play off, play off, kind of buying a little bit of time for the pressure to get there so it's not just a corner's beat where the corner can break up on the ball. But what you're seeing is if the pressure is one second late, I mean, the corners can't hold up and 
you know, with with what he wants to do with the defense and guys are getting beat over the top and guys, you know, offensive players and receivers are making um, the more athletic plays in the perimeter passing game. How much do you think that's on the cornerbacks and how much do you think that's on the guys up front for not getting the pressure quicker? You know, it's 50-50 because, you know, we like to point to the cornerbacks now, but then what you like to do at times it is the cornerback's fault because the guys are getting there and the quarterback is just throwing up and the cornerbacks aren't adjusting. They're not looking back or they're getting too handsy and getting penalties. But at other times, you know, the cornerbacks are, you know, they're where they're supposed to be. But if you give the quarterbacks three plus seconds in the NFL, I mean, they're going to shred you apart. And that's what you saw from uh, Fitzpatrick last week. I mean, he had his own little revenge game, you know, where he went out and kind of, shredded the Jets secondary because you give him a little bit of time. He's a vet in this game. He's seen, you know, everything we say about Brady with the mental part of it, seeing everything, being able to know all the plays. I've seen every defense. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a similar, you know, has has similar mental makeup as Brady where he's seen it all too. I mean, he's been, been in this lead a long time and yeah, he hasn't had the success but he still has seen the defense. And so if you're giving them vanilla coverages or, you know, you don't have the weapons to hold up to what you want to do schematically, he can see it. And he's a good enough player that if you're not getting to him, he's going to pick you apart. What do you see when you look at the offense? Because a lot of people have talked about how Adam Gase is supposed to be an offensive guru, but he hasn't been able to get any production out of this team offensively do you think that it's bad play calling do you think that it's Sam Darnold struggling to see the field do you think it's the offensive line are the playmakers just not good enough or is it some combination of all of that when, when they started the offseason you thought the playmakers were were in there you you know okay Lev Bell running back we're gonna give Darnold a weapon to run the ball you, you got a, a Khalil you know out of retirement starting that setter yeah KO coming in you know but a lot of the guys have been hurt you know, your offensive line has been hurt, you know, so you're getting new guys trying to communicate. I mean, it's been week, we're in week eight now. I mean, week nine, the communication has been, I mean, it's, it's been horrible. You know, when you're getting free runners coming, is it the running back not picking up the right guy on the slide protection? Is it the offensive line not communicating with the quarterback? But at the end of the day, it all comes out of Darnold. When you're back there at quarterback, you have to make sure that all 10 other guys are on the same page. No matter if we're all wrong, we're all right. And I think he has to do a better job with his communication to the offensive line because, you know, with the with his lack of protection and the pressure he's been getting and the the turnovers that's been created off the pressure that they practice it every week when it comes to communication, when it comes to how do we pick up the cover zero, but how do we, you know, where do we slide the line? Where, where are everybody's eyes supposed to be? But it seems like the players aren't taking it from practice to the field to game day on Sundays. And, you know, I think that's the coaching staff has to continue to not only the communication, but find the guys that want to communicate, over-communicate sometimes. And, you know, that's what what we say as as professional players is just over-communicate. It doesn't matter if the defense knows knows what we're doing. We all have to be on the same page. And right now, that lack of communication on the offensive line is creating a lot of pressure for Darnold. And his ability to be mobile is it is ability for him but I think right now it's being a negative because he gets in those situations where he can run and he can get away from the initial sack, but it seems he's just throwing the ball up there and it's, you know, it's, it's creating turnovers. How worried are you about Sam Darnold and what do you think he can do to get this back on track? Are you still a believer in him? It is, it is worrying because you never want to see your quarterbacks, especially a young quarterback, take hits like that. And when you're getting those hits and you get that pressure, you tend to do things differently. Get the ball out of my hand. Just throw it away. You know, duck and throw. Because you're not having the ability to sit, read the coverage, 
reads your receivers, you know, seeing what the leverage is. You're basically looking for pressure. You're looking for who's going to be the free runner, who's going to be in my face. And I think that's what you found in the game where they had the missed snap that led to the safety. You know, Darnold called for the ball, and then he saw something with his eyes, and then he kind of got stunned for a second. You know, so I think it's on the coaching staff to get him comfortable behind the line. You know, when we were with Rex, you know, he had a red, yellow, you know, green system for Sanchez mm-hmm. where this play, you can hit green. This play, ah, yellow and red, don't throw it to that guy. Or if there's a situation, throw it away. You know, something like that where it can simplify it a little bit for him that allows him to go out there and play at a higher level and have simple throws, you know, get your running back involved a little bit more, especially down in the red zone. Get the running back involved. Let Donald just see points going up on the ball, on the board. Sometimes he doesn't have to be the guy to throw a touchdown. Just those points of being in the competitive game, as you saw versus the Cowboys, even though they were hurt, it just leads to more offensive production, more confidence in your young quarterback. How worried are you about the fact that Darnold could be suffering from what people have called David Carr syndrome? In other words, he's been getting pounded so much that it might just kill his confidence and have him seeing ghosts eternally. Do you think that's a possibility? You know what? I don't believe that's a possibility because if that's a possibility and he's going to be the, a guy that, that can't fight through this, that can't battle through this, then he's not the right guy for the job. You know, football, I think we, we, we've come to a point right now where everybody's just supposed to come in and have success and it'd be easy, especially at the quarterback position where you don't want to get hit. You don't want to, you know, you don't want them to get on the ground. You have to protect them. But there is a point that, listen, man, you're a quarterback in the National Football League. You know, you have to, your job is to go out there to win game. You're going to get beat up. But if he's going to be one of the great ones and if he's going to be a franchise quarterback, which I think he still has the ability to become, He's going to have to fight through this situation, and he's going to be one of the guys to to right the ship because he has to be the leader of the team right now in the situation that they have him in. How would you compare him to Sanchez since you were there for Sanchez's first three years? I mean, I think, you know, they're guys that didn't play a lot of football in college, right? You know, they weren't four-year starters or three-year starters. You know, they both came in with a lot of a lot of hype. Not, they're both very talented. I believe earlier on we had a they had a better team around Mark Sanchez in New York early in his career, his first, second year, you know, they had a better team, which was more focused on playing great defense. I mean, if you look at that defense, those first, you know, two, three years, Dave Harris, Chris Jenkins up front, you know, Calvin Pays, Revis, you know, Carey, you know, they ended up bringing Lito Shepard, you know, Strickland, you know, the defense was at that point playing at an extremely high level. And I mean, if not the best offensive line, those three years, one of the best offensive lines, especially those two years with, uh, big uh, Fanica, you know, Mangle, Brickishaw, uh, Meat, uh, Moore, and um, Big Woody. I mean, you have Tony Richardson back there and TJ. Sanchez really just hand the ball off, you know, play good defense. Hand the ball off, don't screw it up, just play good defense. And special teams was rolling that year with Mike Westoff. So I think Sanchez had to do, you know, not as much as Darnold will have to do now because Sanchez had a better team around him, especially – earlier on in, in his career. Not to say he didn't show out, because in, in those playoff games and those playoff runs, I think that's when he played some of his best football as a Jet, was those first two years in the postseason, because he was making plays, he was being mobile, he was making smart throws, and he was playing in the moment. Are you nervous at all about Adam Gase and the way that he's handled Darnold? Are you convinced that he's the right guy to handle Darnold the rest of the way, or do you think that he could be a danger to Darnold's development? I don't think you know what I nervous a danger to the development. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. Like, I believe, and I'm not in the building. I believe he's doing the best he can do. 
with the quarterback situation. I believe he's, he's trying to teach him as much as he can. You know, I, I believe that, you know, the injuries has hamstrung what they originally thought their plan was going to be, you know, moving into the season, you know, what they thought their plan was going to be, they can't do it now. So you have to make it work. But, on, but as a head coach, you have to find an offense somewhere. You have to find a way to get that production. Even if it is, listen, simpler plays, maybe not as many plays, you know, Simple, simplify it for him, get the ball in the playmaker's hand, and just let him see positive plays going forward. So I don't think he's a danger to Sam Darnold's development, but I think losing and the way they're losing is a da- can be a danger to the team's development. Like, I don't like losing this type of way, you know, watching them lose like this because I believe that tanking and the losing can be something that negatively impacts your team moving forward. In 2011, when you were a part of that defense and Mark Sanchez was struggling, as was chronicled in the book by Nicholas Dowdoff, Collision Low Crossers, which I've said many times, and not just because Nicholas Dowdoff was on the show, if you haven't read it yet, you should, and if you have read it, then you know exactly how good it was. If you're an NFL fan or a New York Jets fan, it's a must-read. He chronicled all about how a lot of the players and coaches on the defense were getting very, very frustrated with Mark Sanchez because he was making their life a lot more difficult with turnovers, getting sacks, putting them in bad positions, keeping them on the field way too long and tiring them out. And you've been seeing a lot of that the last couple of weeks with Sam Darnold. As a defensive player, how frustrating is that? Because you want to be supportive of your young quarterback, but at the same time, he's putting the defense in such difficult positions that it makes them look bad too, and then it makes their job so much more difficult, and it makes the team's job overall much more difficult in terms of trying to secure a win. Do you think that there's a possibility right now that there are some players in the locker room that are talking to each other on the defensive side of the ball and saying, oh man, I don't know about this guy? I definitely believe there are players that, you know, maybe don't know about him or don't know if he's, you know, maybe oh, if we had a veteran backup, maybe they can help us a little bit more this year. But I think the fun thing about that year when, you know, we we're playing with Sanchez and just having a defensive head coach. And that's the one thing I appreciated my time in the NFL, that I came in the league with a defensive head coach. And he always would say him and uh, Mike Patton, they all say, listen, when the defense is out there, more TV time for us. So it became where you were, yeah, we were pissed off, you know, turnovers and, you know, things of that nature with the offense not being productive. But at the end of the day, this is the National Football League and you have, you can still be top defense. You know, you can still, you still have to go out there and make your plays. You still have to go out there and compete and do your part of the the equation because you don't want to be the team that doesn't, you know, as a defense, Oh, you're so you're so you know looking at Sanchez. You're looking at the offense. Oh, they're not being productive. What can we do? The meat is beating it in your head. Then you go out and you lay an egg. You know, there's no more you know top defense. There's no more the defense is holding their water. Now is the whole team is isn't productive or the whole team isn't competing. So I think as a defender, yes, you look at the other side of the ball and you see you know turnovers. You see you know missed assignments. You see miscommunication. But I think as a defense, you just kind of try to come together more and say, all right, can we make an extra play? You know, maybe when the ball's on the ground, instead of just diving, we can scoop it up and, you know, maybe I'll block a little harder on the interception return to try to get points for an offense. You know, because right now, watching it, the Jets, they need points anyway. And like last last week with the big kickoff return, that was the big play because it was production from that the offense didn't have to do. It was yards that the offense didn't have to go out there and get. And it gave the offense a shot in the red zone to come away with points and should have came away with a touchdown. But the defense, you look at the other side of the ball, 
But at times you have to kind of look inside and say, listen, we just have to do more. Let's find a way to do more. Make an extra play. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. What do you think when you watch Le'Veon Bell? Because from what I can gather, he's almost running into walls on every play because the offensive line isn't able to open up much, so it sort of limits what he's able to do. He's that type of running back that waits for the hole to open. He's very patient. He has great field vision and understanding, but those holes don't seem to be opening. Do you feel like the Jets, because of their offensive line situation, are almost wasting Le'Veon Bell this year? He's been, first of all, I mean, I think he's been a, He's he's still strong in this storm. He he stands mm-hmm. strong in this storm. I mean, he could come out, he can talk about it. I'm a better player. You know, I need the holes to be open. But he seemed to be a great teammate, a great locker room guy, just in all the negativity that's came on the first half of the season with the New York Jets. So you always give him props for that because I think a lot of people killed him when he was holding out in the Steelers and he's selfish and he only wants money and he doesn't care about the team. But what we've seen, I mean, he's went from the situation in the Pittsburgh where they were perennial contenders, they were going to the Super Bowl, they were always contending to a team that, you know, this year you're looking at won't even be anywhere close to the playoffs, but he's always seemed to approach the games and, you know, go out there with a positive attitude with, you know, with that heart that you want out of your player. So, you know, do I think they're wasting him? I mean, he's not getting in the yards this year. Let's be honest with you. The offensive line has been hurt. They're playing from behind, which forces them to have to throw the ball more. So as a running back like that, you can't feed him the ball. You can't give him as many touches as you would like because you are playing from behind. And now if it's only passing him the ball, it's normally check downs or they try to split him out and get a good matchup on a, a linebacker that can't cover him. So you're you're wasting his talents, but at the you know, at at, at the the same token, I mean he he came here as a free agent. He he knew kind of where this team was in transition with a young quarterback, with a, a new head coach and new GM coming in. So he came in at a time knowing that his team is in a transition phase, trying to find itself, and the injury struck. So, I mean, he probably feels like, you know, I was being wasted a little bit. But he even said at the trade deadline that he understood, you know, teams calling and the Jets taking the call for him. So I think he's been holding himself accountable. You know, he's been playing hard, and he wants to win. He's been doing a good job of being a locker room guy. And, I mean, really, just got to kind of try to grind out the rest of the year and get a win and do what he can do to help Sam Darnold and this offense be productive. How much would that get into your head if you knew that the team was, if not shopping you, then at the very least listening to offers for you? You were around teammates where that would have been the case. I would imagine it's possible that your name might have come up at some point in trade talks. How much of a mental toll does that take on you? Do you start to think that maybe the organization doesn't want you? What does that do to you as a player? I think, you know, it's, it's like the first time in free agency, the first time you're traded, the first time you're cut. I think you just see the business of football. You know, I think that opens it up for you. You see the business of football. So is it a, is it a mental thing? Yes, I, I can believe if you're on the trade block or if you're hearing that, you know, from your agents that, you know, would you like to play and say, say Dallas, you know, would you like to play in Dallas? It, it can be a mental thing in your mind, but then you just have to look back. You know what? This is the business of football. You know, this is what football is. And and I think, you know what, as a GM, you have to listen to calls about players. You have to see 
What are other teams? How are they valuing your players? How are they valuing their own players when you send a, a counter offer back? You know, so I believe that's, you know, that's the thing that JD had to do. You you have to listen. I don't care if it's Sam Darnold. I don't care if it's if they want to trade the coach. Just listen. You're hearing what they're thinking, how they value, and you're getting the insight on another organization. And just like I support, you know, the, the GMs and the teams for doing that, I support the players that listen. If you want to be traded, if you want to get on their new team, there's nothing wrong with you letting your, the GM know, letting your head coach know, listen, I, you know what, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be traded. You know, I would like to be someplace else, you know, because, you know, coaches always say, listen, man, we don't want hostages. You know, we want participants. <laughs> we want people that's going to participate and want to be here. So if somebody doesn't want to be here, I support them the same way. Like I support GMs looking to shop players, looking to trade players. And, you know, it's just all about who has the leverage in that situation. What do you think of the job that Joe Douglas has done so far? Now, to be fair, obviously, he hasn't had the opportunity to do a ton of things because a lot of the heavy lifting was done by Mike McCagnan before he got here. He has that reputation for being a guy that really knows what he's doing. There's a whole list of players that he's credited with helping to pound the table for in draft that turned out to be really good. And he has made some depth moves since he's been here. Between him and the previous general manager, Mike McCagnin, what are your thoughts on the job that Douglas has done so far? And did you have any thoughts on the job that Mike McCagnin did? Did you favor getting rid of him at the end of last season? I think it's always difficult. You know, you, you, you would have thought that if they were going to fire Mike McCagnin when they did, they would have just kind of threw it, you know, kind of fired everybody at once and have a normal, you know, everyday kind of you pick your GM and your GM helps you pick your head coach. And then you move throughout the staff. You know, Christopher Johnson, the CEO, did it a little different. You know, felt McCagnin was still there and maybe liked the way he was talking with the draft process, hired Gaze, and then fired McCagnin, brought Joe Douglas in. So I think it's unfair to try to, you know, try to um, to see, you know, how good is – what kind of job have Joe Douglas has done, you know, up till now. I mean, didn't have an opportunity to go through the draft with the team. Didn't have an opportunity to go through free agency with the team. So he's kind of – picking pieces here and there, you know, he, he brought Khalil out of retirement, you know, so you trying to get the offensive line together, which, you know, has been, has, has so many holes with injuries and different things like that, you know, traded, you know, Leonard Williams, where as he may see a guy that, you know what, we're not going to resign him, you know, let's try to trade him to a team and really making that trade with the Giants. I mean, that's been the, what's that? The first trade with the Giants since what, 85, 84, something like that. Mm-hmm. Between the Jets and the Giants, so that's a trade that you know coming in as a, a Jets, you know, his first year as as the GM, making that trade with the in town rival where Leo didn't even have to leave his house. You know, he just packed the day bag and all right, I'm going over there, going to uh, MetLife Stadium, you know, to practice. So I think he's doing a good job. You know, got some good picks back from Leo, but it remains to be seen. You know, I think around the draft, his message, you know, listen, I got to pick up the phone, phone call, I have to listen to everything. I think that shows that you know he's looking to improve the team. But without, you know, kind of tearing down, you know, Sam Darnold, where he kept his weapon, where he kept Robbie Anderson, where, you know, he didn't get rid of Le'Veon Bell at the trade deadline, trying to keep Sam, trying to, you know, keep some weapons for Sam Darnold to have moving forward so you can kind of keep him developing, you know, try to give him a window where, listen, you have weapons. So let's see if you can get a little bit better every week. So I think he's done a, you know, a, a good job with, with little time that he has to work with the team. Looking at the roster, what do you think needs to be done by Joe Douglas in the offseason? What areas do you look at as particularly dangerous for this team going forward? What's the approach you would take? 
I mean, man, if you can get like some healthy pills, this is the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> some healthy pills, man. You know, the fountain of youth, maybe some elixir. You know, some water from Lake Minnetonka or something, man. Because uh, if we just kept kept the team healthy, I think it'd be you'll see a better record now. But moving with the personnel, first and foremost, I think you have to build along the lines especially the offensive line that's just been decimated with injuries, with, with you know, with non-competitive play, miscommunications. You have to build a strong group up front and build the depth in it because at the end of the day, you're only as strong as your depth. And I think the same thing, you know, up front on the defensive line where you have a little bit more pieces right now, where you've seen Quinn and Williams, like I said, coming along. You have some guys that are out with injuries now, but, you know, they'll be back. Find some, you know, cornerbacks to be able to hold up, you know, if you're – keeping the same defensive philosophy, you know, keeping the same coaching staff, you know, find quarter cornerbacks that can hold up and really try to get, you know, one more weapon for Sam Darnold, you know, one more weapon. If the draft, if free agency, maybe a guy that he's seen on, you know, another person's roster that, you know, he feels that will fit into, you know, what they do schematically as an offense. But I think that the most important thing is build along the lines because once you build a strong, you know, strong offensive and defensive line that we've seen in the Monday night game last night in Dallas, you're always in the game. You know, you're competitive in the game. You know, you can play and you can say, listen, we're going to continue to compete throughout the game and we'll win the game in the fourth quarter. Especially if you're going to keep the bat like Le'Veon Bell. Put a line in front of him and see what happens. What do you think the team can do going forward the rest of the season to try and turn this around to a reasonable degree? Because obviously they're not making the playoffs, they're not going to have a winning record, but they do have a lot of relatively easy teams on their schedule. Ironic because now those teams are probably looking at the Jets as an easy team, whereas before the season started... Right, we're all easy, right? Exactly. <laughs> everybody's everybody's easy. easy. That's just how this turned out. But looking ahead to these teams that the Jets are playing that have poor records... There is an opportunity here to run off a couple of wins, turn things around, and start to make people feel better about things going forward. What do you think the Jets need to do here? First and foremost, protect your, protect your quarterback. You know, the, the protection issue, there's a difference in getting beat in a one-on-one situation where, you know what, you lined up, and yeah, that's uh, Khalil Mack, or that's, you know, Aaron Donald. He just whooped you one-on-one, got to the quarterback. That's a, that's a much different situation than, you know, you, you don't know what you're doing out there. You have a miscommunication error, or you don't know where you're supposed to slide or where you're supposed to protect or where your eyes are supposed to be. So, I mean, I think the first thing is taking, you know, the corrections from the last game into practice, get them corrected, and take them to the next game. Because if you can't do the simple things like communicate, slide the line, know where you're supposed to be, you won't be able to win any of these games. I think that's the first thing, you know, protect Donald with, you know, with communication. And then I think Donald just has to play better, man. Get the ball to your playmakers earlier. Maybe, you know, put Le'Veon Bell in some some unique situations. Find ways to get him the ball if it's outside the pocket, if it's lined up in the slot, if it's, you know, screen plays, you know, calling the plays at the right time. I think those are, you know, if you can do that on offense, the defense, I think, will play a little bit better. And then you'll see your quarterback. And that's the biggest thing. You have the quarterback. You're trying to figure out, is he our franchise guy? Is he the guy that's going to get it done? And I think this year they have a great offensive – not even great, just a remnant of an offense in the second half of the season where we're moving the ball, we're making good plays, where I'm being protected. There's none of the drastic – everything that could go wrong is going wrong in the games. And if they have you know any none of those games, I think it would be a – I won't say successful because when you don't make it to the playoffs and you lose, 
it's, it's hard to call it successful. I think it would be, be an, an improvement over the first half of the season. And that's all I can get. I can't call it success, but it is an improvement. And there are people can still continue to develop. And the one thing with losing games, and that's why I don't like tanking, because it's hard to develop that culture of winning, that culture of playing tough, that culture of believing in the man next to you and the guy next to you that they're going to do their job and that they're taking this game, this professional game seriously. And so I think if they can go out and protect the quarterback, see some improvement, win some games, kind of grow a little bit stronger together, you know, that culture is something that can be seen as a positive moving forward into the offseason. You mentioned the injuries a bunch of times, and obviously it's been a litany of horrors here. Do you think that there's anything to be said about the way that the coaching staff has handled the players that there's been this many injuries? Because this is the kind of thing that Gase dealt with in Miami too, and you're seeing it again here. I remember when Adrian Morrell was on the program talking about 1997, the year that Bill Parcells took over as head coach from Rich Kotite, and he said the first thing that Parcells did was walk into the locker room with a huge binder in his hand and threw it down on the table, and he asked everybody in the room, do you know what this is? And everybody said, I don't know, coach, the playbook. And he said, no, this is the injury report from last year. And this crap ends now. And long story short, there were a lot fewer injuries that year under Parcells than they were under Rich Kotite. As somebody who has played for a decade professional football, is there something to that possibility that maybe the coaching staff is not necessarily causing these injuries but not helping matters? I mean, if you're thinking that they're smuggling mono around and giving <laughs> Sam, <Darko> under, <laughs> hey Sam, come here, let me show you something. Boom, mono. Well, I, I mean, you can't blame the coach. I mean, if now with the NFL, the NFL, the way it's regulated, the way that the practices are are you know regulated with the CBA, practices aren't that much different now. You know, with the intensity, with how much hitting you can be. You know, you, I love to hear coaches talk about, oh, we're going to be tougher. We're going to be tougher than the other team. We're going to practice harder. We're going to hit longer. The contact is so regulated right now that, you know, all the teams are basically doing the same thing. So I think it's more of just, they just hit a string of horrible luck at certain position groups, inside linebacker, horrible luck at that group where you started off with a four-time pro bowler in CJ Mosley, a young player coming from, you know, a historic, you know, one of the, the best defenses over the last 10, 15 years in the NFL from Baltimore. He's out for the year. Then his backup is out. Then his backup is out. Offensive line. They're hurt. I don't think you can put it towards the coaching staff unless they're doing things that are outside of the natural NFL practices. But I think it's just it's just a string of bad lucks that normally when you're a bad team, it's because you hit some bad luck and you couldn't overcome it. And that's the thing with this team. They're all new to each other. The GM head coach been working together a short time. You know, they've been with this team. This is they've only had one offseason together. You know, a lot of these guys are new together. So when you hit some adversity like injuries, you know, the cream doesn't always rise to the top. You hit a couple of, you know, adverse situations and then everybody's looking around and then injuries will point fingers to injuries. And then as a bad team, you can't kind of get out of your own way. There are a lot of people that have said that Adam Gase is using the injuries as a shield, as an excuse. Obviously, they've played into the season, but there's a lot more to it between the talent on the field and the coaching. So there are people that'll say Adam Gase will point to that and he will talk to Christopher Johnson and say, listen, as you just said, Jamal, I've only had one year with Joe Douglas. We didn't even have a full offseason together to implement our plan and to get the players that we want. We had all these millions of injuries. This is the first year of a program. You got to give us more time. Is that something you buy? 
would you be leaning towards bringing Adam Gase back for a second season if you were Christopher Johnson right now? I think right now you're leaning towards the end of the season. I don't like mid-year, you know, to make a decision right now to get rid of your head coach or mm-hmm. anything like that. I think you have to sit down and evaluate it. I mean, it's been a short amount of games. You can always save the injuries, which which is valid. I mean, we can't look and say, you know, guys aren't injured. But as an offensive head coach, as a quarterback whisperer, you know, offensive guru, which is, you know, the things that we've heard that people put out. I mean, obviously he wasn't out there saying, I'm the guru and, I, and I'm the best offensive mind ever. But you want to see some remnants of an offense. You want to see some improvement. You want to see the team kind of come together. But it seems now it's just getting – it's so bad right now that it seems like all the messages messaging out of there is negative. And no matter what is being said, it's, it's negative, and it's not helping the team to go. So Christopher Johnson, I think he, he has a – as a CEO, has a, a big decision to make, you know, towards the end of the season – to figure out is Gates the guy to do it. And to be honest, if, I, if you're not in the building, you can only see from what's on the field. And from what's on the field right now, it's not looking good. It's not looking fruitful. It's not looking positive. You know, and, and I think a lot of the messaging may be more upbeat, you know, more we're going to get this figured out rather than you kind of just sitting in the in – the, man, you're just sitting in the poop house, man. You're sitting in the outhouse right now. There's flies all around. It smells like crap. And you're trying to find, like, I got to get up and you, you got to shit and then get off, get off the pot and get it going and try to get some wins. Because right now, it's not fruitful, man. It's not looking good. It's not looking productive as an offense. And that's the thing that, that you, you don't like to see, that week to week, it seems to be the same issues. And what, what they say, you're either teaching it or you're letting it happen. And, you know, I think it always comes back to the head coach. And head coaches know that. They take the responsibility for their team. And he knows right now he's on a – he needs to get some wins. He needs to get some production. He needs, you know, to kind of get that uh, the offense moving in a in a positive direction. But the whole team can lead to that too. I think I'm never like to point just to the coaches. I believe it's an entire makeup of a team that makes teams successful. And the handful of you know successful franchises over the last decade, they've been you know franchises that that they've had adversity, but find times to kind of just come together and focus on one thing, which is to get the win on Saturday on Sundays. With all the pieces that need to be added on the offense, as you said, offensive line, better playmakers to help Sam Darnold and really elevate his game next season, and the fact that we now know that there's some tension there with Jamal Adams and that teams called about him. We talked about Adams before and what Joe Douglas did, and I think we both agree that Joe Douglas did his job in that he listened to offers, he set the price really high, nobody was willing to meet that price, and so he didn't trade Jamal Adams. But in the offseason, if you were him, would you consider using Jamal Adams to help acquire the assets needed to get those pieces that you were just talking about to surround Sam Darnold and make this offense better over the long haul? Ooh, I don't, I mean, listen, the Jets haven't hit on, you know, the first round talent where you can talk about, you know, guys that have come up and played to the level of where they were drafted in a while. And so you have a guy that's came in, you know, his first round, uh, a first round pick and played up to his talent level. He's been making plays, has been a leader of your defense, has been one of your most productive players, not only on defense, but on the entire team. When you have a guy like that that you know that you've developed that's kind of homegrown, I think, you know, I, I would keep him around as long as possible because he can be one of the great culture guys for the locker room. Whereas, you know, somebody that comes in and has been there when they're losing but plays hard all the time, you know, he's a little bit outspoken. But, you know what, that's not a bad thing 
if you, if he's good in the locker room, the, the other guys like being around him because you get rid of somebody like him and you go chasing or looking for some other talent and they don't hit, what are you going to say? Well, we traded Jamal for these two offensive linemen or these two picks and these guys, you know, didn't pan out, but he goes on and becomes a, you know, Pro Bowl safety or something like that. You know, you, you wouldn't want that to happen. So I think when you have got somebody that you develop that's playing well for you, that's playing at a high level, the longer, if he's good for the culture of the team, he's good for the teammates, the longer you can keep around, the better because those players don't fall off of trees. That's definitely true because I have a feeling that if players as good as Jamal Adams did fall off of trees, there'd be a lot of people in NFL front offices spending plenty of time around trees waiting for those players to fall into their lap. And while we have no idea if the draft picks the Jets could potentially get for Jamal Adams will turn out to be anywhere near as good as he is, we do know that we're going to get the opportunity to see Jamal Adams play again in a New York Jets uniform this Sunday when the Jets take on the New York Giants at MetLife Stadium. That's a game you might want to consider putting a bet on too. And if you're going to do that, you should go over and do it with mybookie.ag because when you do, they will match your first deposit halfway all the way up to a thousand bucks. So if you deposit two thousand dollars, you can get the max of a thousand dollar match. So two thousand dollars or more, and they'll give you a thousand bucks, anything below that, and it'll be a fifty percent match of whatever your first deposit is. To take advantage of this offer, just go over to mybookie.ag and enter the promo code OVERTIME. You can bet on the Jets and Giants. You can bet on all the other games around the league. I highly recommend listening to my brother Craig when he gives his picks on Sunday on the pregame show and using those picks and putting them in at mybookie.ag because Craig has been on a roll lately. You can bet on props too. Perhaps you want to bet on who's going to have more rushing yards, Saquon Barkley or Le'Veon Bell. Maybe you want to bet on who's going to have more touchdown passes, Daniel Jones or Sam Darnold. Perhaps you want to bet on which team is going to have more fans in attendance. Sadly, I'd probably bet the Giants on that one. You can bet on these prop bets and more and have 50% of your first deposit matched up to $1,000 when you go to mybookie.ag and use the promo code OVERTIME. MyBookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. And if you're going to bet on the game, you should probably be there, especially since it's back home in New Jersey at MetLife Stadium. The Jets and the Giants aren't exactly having the best year, but it's still a fun rivalry, and that's why it's going to be a hot ticket. And if you don't have your tickets yet, you can get them at Vivid Seats. And I've got a great deal for you when you do go to buy your tickets. You can get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you use the promo code OVERTIME at checkout. You can use that promo code to go to the Jets-Giants game on Sunday, or you can use it for a whole bunch of other events. You want to go to a basketball game, a hockey game, you want to go to a concert, a wrestling show, anything your heart desires, you can use that discount code to get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. Just download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code OVERTIME at checkout. Now, because I brought up the Jets' next matchup, Jamal, I wanted to ask you about this game coming up against the Giants because the last time the Jets played the Giants in a home game in the regular season was the last year that you were with the Jets, 2011. <sighs> and a lot of people Ooh. would refer to this game as the one that caused the beginning of the end of the Rex era and the downfall that we have seen over the last decade really for the Jets because there was that famous play with Victor Cruz where he went 99 yards. The Giants ended up winning the game. You guys ended up spiraling a little bit, finishing 8-8. Eight eight. The Giants were on an upswing. They won the Super Bowl. 
and the rest is history, unfortunately. So let's talk about this. Tell me a little bit about what you remember about the feud. Tell me what you remember from that game. Uh, I was there, and it was just such a sad, sad game to watch for so many reasons. And then what you think about what could happen this Sunday at MetLife Stadium. Curious to hear, in particular, your thoughts on the Daniel Jones-Sam Darnold matchup that we've got ahead of us. I mean, as a former Jet, playing the Giants is always crazy because you're going into your home stadium, but there's like half the crowd doesn't want you in there, which is all, <laughs> which was always the weirdest thing. And especially playing them every preseason, you realize, wait a minute, this game, why are the coaches so amped up? About it? it's, it's still the preseason. You know, I'm trying to make the team, and they're talking about we got to get this win versus the Giants. They're calling real defenses out there. They're calling real blitzes. I think the first game I played against the Giants was in preseason. I think, like, Bart hit Eli. He had blood coming out. I'm like, what is – this is the NFL? Like, what is going on here? You know, we don't even play each other during the regular season. But when, when we had that chance to, to play them, I mean, they just wanted it more than us. We missed a big tackle. I think I sent, uh, Pro missed a big tackle on Victor Cruz. He went 99. And from, from there, I mean, we didn't win another game as, as you know, with the Jets. I think we lost the last four. They went on to go undefeated all the way to the Super Bowl. So – I mean, you love playing the Giants because you got both New York fans in the area, so you got the, that kind of rooting interest from the fans. Where, all right, you know, you know, I hate the Giants too. I hate the Patriots more from your fans, but they're like, I hate the Giants too because they got the last Super Bowl, and to let them come off with that win, oh man, it was it was sickening. I'm not even gonna lie to you because I figure in my first two years in the NFL, you know, I made it to the AFC Championship game back to back years, Rex's first two years. So I'm figuring, yeah, we, we're supposed to be in the playoffs. That's that's what we do. We get in the playoffs. And that was the first year that I was not in the playoffs and the Giants had went and won the Super Bowl. So it was always a great rivalry in, the, in New York, in the Jersey area, especially between the fans. So I think it will be nothing different in this game coming up, you know, with these two young quarterbacks going at it. Daniel Jones, who right now looks like he's playing better football than Sam Darnold. He seems a little bit more poised in the pocket. You would like, like him to hold on to the ball a little bit more when, you know, running the ball, interceptions, you know, uh, turnovers, you know, fumbles. But, I mean, he seems, you know, poised in the pocket. Seems their play calling is pretty good. He seems very confident out there, which is always a good thing from a quarterback. Where on the other end, you know, the Jets, even though both teams are losing, but Darnold has to kind of get – they have to put him in position to be comfortable, to be confident. And the one thing with your quarterback, I don't care what league it is, what age group, Pop Warner, you, you know, all the way on up, you want a quarterback – you want to make your quarterback – comfortable and you want your quarterback to be out there with confident and command the respect on that offense and command of what he's doing offensively and you know it's gonna be listen both teams aren't playing well but you know one side is seems to have a little bit more of a blueprint of who they want to be as a as a team and as an offense Jamal, I think there's one key to this matchup that hasn't been talked about enough, and there's one X factor that either team could exploit should they choose to go down this path, and that is this. Whichever team signs that cat that was running around in the end zone <laughs> <laughs> with the Giants and the Cowboys, that is the team that I think is going to come out on top at MetLife Stadium on Sunday because that cat looked impressive. That 40 time, I don't know, might break some records. I don't know, man. Just had big cat, Sean Ellis, man. We got a cat, so uh, hopefully the Jets can sign that cat, man. Because I think you know to get a win at home in that stadium against the Giants, I think it'll go a long way for Sam Darnold's confidence. Just you know, you see yourself playing well as a quarterback and as a as a team, and that's the one thing. And moving forward, you want to see yourself playing well and competitive. And right now, 
that'd be a big win. Even though the team's not, you know, the Giants haven't, you know, they're not winning. They're not in the playoff hunt right now. But just to get a win at home, it'd be huge for Sam Darnold. As I joked with Manish on yesterday's podcast, this game very well may make NFL history because it could be the very first game ever, given the situation where the Jets are at home, but there's going to be at least 50% Giants fans there. And considering how badly the Jets and Giants have both played recently, that you could get dueling chance for firing both coaches of both teams. Ooh. In this particular game, I don't know if that's ever happened before, but that's certainly something to keep your eye on in addition to what's going on on the field. Jamal Westerman, thank you so much for joining me, man. I hope you'll come back and join me a bunch more because this was awesome. You added so much great insight. The only thing I regret is the fact that I wish that you were able to play and get your opportunity at the Grey Cup this year. But as I was telling you before we started recording... Carson Wentz has a Super Bowl ring, even though he got hurt toward the end of the season and Nick Foles finished the job, but I'm sure he's still very happy to have that Super Bowl ring. So even if the team wins and you're just there in a support role, I'm sure you're going to be happy to have a piece of that great cup. Yeah, man. You know, all I could do is talk talk shit from the sidelines. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but we're moving one game at a time. Uh, by week, get right. You know, the team's practicing this week. East Finals next week in Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton's undefeated this season at home. So I know that game is going to be lit. It's going to be crazy. I can't wait to fly up for that game. And then after that, you know, I won't talk about the, the next game, the next Sunday, which is the Grey Cup. But, you know, after that, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I appreciate you having me on. You know, it's always good to talk a little Jets football. And I appreciate you, man. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. And for those that want to follow you on Twitter or see your thoughts more regularly on social media, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, Jamal Westerman, Instagram, jwesterman90, Instagram. I think Jamal Westerman on Twitter. I mean, just type me in. I'm in there. You know, trying to do a little bit of more of this broadcast media, you know, a little bit of my thoughts out there. I have a podcast coming to you guys soon, Halfway to Game Day podcast. We're coming soon. And we'll just work, you know, just doing some things to kind of give some of my experience back, give some of the stories and the great relationships and the great men and women that I've met throughout my professional and collegiate career. Kind of let a little bit of, of that out there. So I'm having fun with it, enjoying this run, enjoying, you know, the playoffs in the CFL and enjoying watching some more NFL football because now that I'm home, I get a lot more chance, you know, to watch uh, the Jets play. So it's having, having fun. Rough year, but it's always fun talking Jets. Well, you have an open invitation to talk Jets anytime you want over here. And by the way, should note that for anybody that wants to follow Jamal on Twitter, it's J-A-M-A-A-L. So he spells it a little Double bit different. Got to get that extra Jamal. A in there. It's not like Jamal Adams. There's an extra A for extra awesomeness. It's like Triple A, man. We'll always be there for you, man. J-A-M-A-A-L, Jamal Westerman. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're a wrestling fan, Triple H. You can remember it that way, well, too. Yeah, but I can't. You know, I don't want to spit all that water on everybody and you know, my hair, my hair doesn't grow that long. <laughs> no pedigrees for anybody coming your way, but you will get some great football talk if you follow Jamal on Twitter. So go ahead and do that. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turn on the Jets.com.